Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code podcast for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Tremendous. Tremendous helps you set incentives to all your respondents, making them happy and eager to participate in your next study. See how Tremendous can save you time and money on research incentives at Tremendous.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Green Book Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny Murphy. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend it with us. And by us, I mean our guest. Today it is my, my honor to welcome to, to our show for the first time my longtime friend, Dr. Thomas Ramsoy, CEO and founder of Neurons. Thomas, welcome, my friend. Hi, Lenny. Great to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Well, let's uh, let's see what you think afterwards. But it's uh, it is good to have you here. And, and for the audience, I said, friends, Thomas and I, gosh, we have known each other for ten years or so. Yeah, and have collaborated a, a few different times on different things. And just you know, one of my favorite people in the world because you have such a fascinating story coming from academia into applied commercial business with neuroscience. So rather than me kind of stealing your thunder, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background and and then we'll get into this journey that it's been really cool to watch you take over the last few years. Oh, sure. Thanks, Lenny. I think that where to start is probably, you know, even before we got to know each other, uh, my own background is, you know, first psychology, I've uh, been training that, did a PhD in neurobiology. Before that, I actually worked many years as a clinical neuropsychologist. So I've Spent a fair amount of time talking to patients, testing them, being very focused on understanding and measuring the mind. So that was uh, my whole kind of setup for going into a PhD was to see how can we measure emotional, cognitive responses in people. And I got really kind of inspired by how we work as uh, in, in everyday decision making. So instead of having like kind of lab based settings, I was really getting interested in everyday decision making and you know where else do we make everyday decisions rather than in the store environment you know in our homes going on social media for example so uh, i got into running and you know starting and running a lab at the copenhagen business school and the university hospital for many years before i eventually stumbled i would say more or less into commercial applications i was contacted by some big american companies that were interested in uh, building a neuroscience toolbox to look at, you know, how can we use these tools? They understood that there was something here that gave them an additional level of insights into clients, um, customers, that they couldn't get by just asking questions. And we on the, you know, the science side, we knew already that using these measures, we would be much better at predicting their behavior than you would do by just asking people questions. So that was kind of the set off. And uh, I started my company in uh, uh, 2013. Started as a whole kind of bootstrapping enterprise and, uh, you know, just were a handful of people in the beginning. And then in 2019, we started realizing that we had, uh, we've gone through a lot of different studies and projects and we've been kind of very uh, privileged to, to work with, you know, Fortune 500 companies. 80% of that was actually in the U.S. 
and uh, you know, working for you know some of these publicly available cases are you know working for Meta, working for TikTok, IKEA, Visa, and so forth, to both understand but also to implement changes that would you know lead to a higher adoption rate, for example, of new products or ads or different kinds of solutions. So. What we realized in 2019 was that we were basically sitting on a gold mine. We had gathered, you know, tens and tens of thousands of people's data, and we could start mining those data to create predictive models. And uh, what we realized that was, first of all, we can create a predictive model of attention, and then later on, we were working on some other things. And that's kind of from a company perspective. Uh, we pivoted in 2020 to becoming away from just a neuromarketing and neuro, uh, consumer neuroscience company, and much more into Kind of a SaaS or a kind of a scalable platform solution, and that's where we basically are now. So that's you know we we're on this path now that we are making you know big strides in terms of building a kind of an online presence for you know online accessibility of these kind of otherwise very kind of sciencey products. And again, for our listeners who, who don't know, you graced the stage of the IX competition a few times uh, as you were. Coming up with some of these product concepts, uh, including the the visual intensity solution that I think you hinted at, and obviously have continued to kind of drive forward with new thinking to take non-conscious measurement, that's the big bucket that, that I categorize things in my head, out of the lab environment into pragmatic, scalable use, as you just talked about. And my understanding is that that's really paying off because you have some good news that you just released to the market where there's a lot of folks who believe in what you're doing as well. You want to talk about that for a minute? Sure, absolutely. We just went out now and we have been uh, successful in landing our seed round. So we have taken a, a pre-seed round a couple of years ago, but now we just landed a seed round. And it's uh, one of the biggest actually in you know Scandinavia, probably Europe as well. That is uh, 6.08 million euros engine for, for the next step of the journey. That is awesome. Congratulations to go for you know, academic to, oh, wait, there's something here, bootstrapping the company. And now with that large of a seed round, to be clear, you know, folks, not this isn't an A round. You know, this wasn't the, the growth round. This is the seed round. This is to really take what you've got and, and build that out. What a vote of confidence across the board. What does that mean to you? Not from a business standpoint, but the signal. What, what do you think the market is saying with that type of seed round? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that you know one way to answer that is that you can think of it this way: that what we are trying to do is not just create some kind of neuroscience solution. We are actually trying to create a whole new way of thinking. That instead of insight only being about you go out, you gather some data, you have to wait for those results to come in, you have to interpret the data. Instead of that, we are focusing much more on predicting people's behavior. So that means that there's a whole new space now uh, that is opening that, you know, the good example here being that if you want to have understand where people are going to look. So if you want to say, you know, I can do an eye tracking study, I can do also a webcam eye tracking study, for example, it's still going to take me days, weeks, maybe a month. And it's still going to cost me an amount that will be depending on how many people I need to test and the complexity of the study. And I still need to understand the results. Instead of that, the whole thing we're trying to set up here is that it becomes like a one-stop shop. It's kind of a one button, if you like. You get the prediction, an accurate prediction of the same results within seconds to minutes. So that's a whole new space, a whole new way of thinking. So you can, in one way, you can think of this as a kind of a blue ocean space, that we are entering a kind of a phase that people haven't really 
thought that this is possible. So that for, for us, it's this investment is a testament to the belief in the market that this is viable. There's something here that we're onto that, you know, because it's a seed round, we still need to find that you know, optimal product market fit. But we're on the very kind of good trajectory on that. So I think that the belief in that is uh, kind of what we see. For me, that's what, that's what the investment round really means. So is the market viewing this as that integration that we've long talked about and thought that we would get to of predictive AI with understanding humans at a, a fundamental level? Is that... You think it's a, it's a harbinger of that? We're folks saying, okay, this is this is how we get there to machines that understand humans and can predict behavior because they have the right data to do that. Right. In, in some respects, I, I would even kind of roll it back to kind of very kind of hands down on you know looking at the you know working. We've been working a lot in the insights industry, right? So what you typically get is that clients are typically. Asking, we would like to know if A is, if, is better than B, or should I go, you know, I have this campaign, should I go to all the social media channels? And typically they want the results yesterday and they want the responses in uh, or the results in such a way that you can't really go in and modulate and change the creative, for example. It's, it's almost too late when you get to that point. There's a very kind of classical way of thinking about it. Uh, it's like we, we get to the point, kind of end of the line, so to speak, and then you test to see. Could it have been done differently? But instead of that, you can imagine that now that you have a you have a product that you can ask your designers to vet every single design. You can do it in a second. You can try instead of trying you know five dif- different designs, you can try five hundred different designs. You can experiment. You can fail. You can you can have a learning. You can do this all within a day, for example. And you can't test five hundred different designs if you do an eye tracking study, for example. So it gives you a whole different new kind of way of working. Now, I should also mention that these kind of solutions are not just kind of on a platform that you have to do. You can, it actually works in your tools as well. So if you're working in Figma, if you're working in, you know, having a web design and you can have like a Chrome plugin, for example, it becomes available for you during the time that we're actually designing the, the product, designing the asset. So I think that's, that's a whole kind of mentality shift that you can be kind of preloading the scientific insights into your design process. So that's, of course, there's pros and cons to that because it means that you have to train people to understand that it's available. But I've, I've heard some and kind of heard so many times now that there's a kind of a, a penny drop moment that people, when they realize it, the immediate response we hear again and again is that this is so cool. I, why haven't I heard about this before? I need it. That's, I've heard that a gazillion times. So I wish I had a dime every time I heard that. And it's because that the people intuitively, I think that we're in the position now that the market has realized that we have this kind of neuroscience revolution. People understand that neuroscience is there, that we can use it for these kind of unconscious responses. But it's pretty difficult. To, it's, you, know, you have to invest a lot of time, your own time, and, and, and typically a budget for it. The second as we have, you know, the AI revolution allows us to have these uh, new AI predictive models that allows us to predict behavior, not just measure. And then finally, we have the what we can call kind of the platform revolution is that things are now becoming available and accessible through online platforms. And I think that we're in the state now that, you know, people are getting ready to see, you know, to work in this Venn diagram of those three different revolutions. And I think that we're, we're in a very kind of unique spot to, to be there when people need that. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that the, you know, the signal that you've gotten with not only business success, but also with this seed round, some of the other players in your neck of the woods in Scandinavia have also, you know, 
making some significant strides. We won't name off your competitors out of respect, but you know they're but they're out there. And what's interesting is when so if we use grit as a measurement tool, right? We've yet to see in the and maybe it's how we ask the question, but we've yet to see the non-conscious tools break through in terms of talking about uh, usage. But yeah, we know they are because we see the pragmatic results of companies like yours that are growing and and investors are getting behind, et cetera, et cetera. So that makes me wonder whether if the insights team is not the right team where we're seeing significant adoption, and instead, whether it is the marketers, the product, those folks, are you seeing that? Is, Is your client base shifting outside of the insights organization yeah i would say i would say actually both so so inside you can still use these tools for retrospective analyses of your assets so you can when you have the performance metric you as an insights person can still use those tools to say okay this is what the scores are we can use that to to analyze what could we have done differently that's still kind of on on, on there so we, we are still working with insights people but of course the designers the product owners Agencies is a big thing. And what we also see a lot is that we have kind of the media platforms themselves are starting to use this more and more now to say, how can we help our clients optimize their performance while they're doing the work on their assets? So imagine the social media channel, for example, working on this. You could have this as a tool in, in, in the ad manager, for example, to help you optimize your performance on that platform. So, so that's, that's, that's what we see more and more. All right, let's talk about that for a minute because we are seeing now the and kind of long predicted of uh, companies. Walmart just launched a you know full on research application, right? Uh, Publishers Clearinghouse just did. Of course, Google, Facebook, Twitter have always had these kind of internal groups. So the channels, if you will, of uh, these advertising channels are now building those capabilities. LinkedIn is launching their own internal research capability. Is that where you see the real growth opportunity for neurons and for the category as a whole is uh, embedding more and more with those primary distribution channels uh, from a technology standpoint versus working more with the ad hoc, the insights, or even the brand themselves? Yes and no, I would say. On the one side, I don't want to put everything on the, you know, the API version, so to speak, of the product. Because the, the problem with that is that you know, the, the whole sales cycle is much longer, the partnership needs to be there, the adoption rate, there's a whole different game, so to speak. And I think that what you see very often is that API clients, they're very happy to see that you, how you are succeed, successful in your own platform. So that means that if we have our own platform and we show exactly how things are working, then we we can demonstrate, you know, this is how you can this is how we can utilize that in your own platform. So I think that having a kind of a, a double sword approach is, is always preferable to this. But of course, the big leaps, uh, the kind of big parallel shift will be for these kind of partnerships uh, when they arrive. And we have some announcement coming up from that, but that there are some, you know, some things that you know you get access to, you know. Thousands and thousands of, of, or tens of thousands, or even more different uh, client types by having a partnership. Of course, that's a that's a big opportunity, and I think that our approach uh, has been to be uh, API first. So that basically means we're creating all our solutions is always on the API first, and then we're embedding it in our platforms. That means that 
whoever's using the API have the opportunity to, to start developing for those kind of platforms uses beyond their own platform. Now, yeah, going back to your history of starting as, you know, more an academic and that, you know, clinician, is there ever kind of a jarring of reality of, wow, you know, how, how do I get here now? We're talking about APIs and, you know, now you're in the tech business now. So is that is is it ever just kind of an odd juxtaposition for you? I have to admit, Lenny, I don't and I don't think uh, over the year, many years I've, I've known you. I don't think I've told you the the kind of the two kind of big crossroads I've, I've been beyond uh, before this. Uh, you know, be, while I was studying psychology, one was that I was very close to becoming a jazz musician in Paris, and the second was that I was uh, very close to opening a fly fisher uh, fisherman kind of a place up the up in northern Norway. So those are kind of the big changes for me. And for me, you know, this is more like this is I've chosen to go down this path and starting to work with, you know, clinical neuropsychology, then studying consciousness and then going over to studying kind of more applicable and commercial applications of, of this neuroscience. That actually surprises me left rather than sitting on a Paris cafe and, and uh, playing jazz. Okay. <laughs> I did not know that. Thomas. <laughs> I did not know that. So uh, we could take this conversation in a whole other direction now, uh, knowing that. But now, one of the other things, you know, it's a bit of a family business as well. So, right, your son is uh, is deeply involved. Let's talk about that for a minute. As you've been building this, how is that? What What's driven you from a value standpoint? What's been important to you as an individual versus just making money? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good point. Actually, the company was started when started with my wife. Actually, we, this is a this is not our first rodeo. Uh, we have uh, been had other companies before, including a, an art cafe, for example. So this is not our first rodeo, and uh, we started in 2013 together. And then uh, our uh, oldest son, Mike, was a part of the company uh, from 2013 as a freelancer, and then came in full time 2015. Um, and now it's actually the chief operating operating officer as well. So that means that you know we we have built this from scratch together with all pros and cons that that comes with that. Of course, you know you share the stress, you share the wins. It is what it is, and I think that we are here because of you know us being able to work together. You know we cannot kind of underline that enough. I think that you know what we did from the beginning was to say the whole problem was that when neurons were started. The whole kind of challenge was that in 2013, actually a little bit before that, the whole area of applied neuroscience or you know non-conscious measures or neuromarketing, if you like, had gone through no less than two two hype cycles. There was a lot of overpromising, a lot of underdelivering. I used to see from outside. I was really kind of critical about the whole the whole industry because I was I thought that on the one side you could have very good academic kind of researchers uh, who understood the, to the topic. They could really make good metrics, but they were horrible at explaining it and actually calibrating what clients' needs. And on the other side, you had business people who understood the client needs, but they were actually horrible at, at making the solution, the scientifically valid method. And I think that that still is uh, has kind of been you know part of the, the reason that you know we we chose from the beginning to say, okay, if we're going to go this way, if we're going to do a commercial company like this. Honesty, transparency, you know, that's that's the model we need to build this on. So this means that we, from day one, chose to publish all the metrics that we're working with, all the methods we're working with. And instead of you know having kind of a black box secret approach, we wanted to show our, our cards and say, so this is why we could, for example, publish, we recently published uh, an article in one of the leading neuroscience journals with uh, Facebook, for example, to say, 
this is how you can optimize eye tracking on, on smartphones. If you don't do that, you will be 20% less accurate. So we have chosen to take that path and rather be you know, thought leaders and showing you know, how we can optimize these scores. I think the, the, um, the upside of doing that as well is that we do have a high level of you know, trust and transparency as a general kind of DNA in the company. This means that it kind of comes with the Scandinavian model as well, that people who work here, and we have people from 25 different nationalities here, they learn how to be transparent upfront about things, you know, rather take things in the beginning, rather than when you are really disgruntled about something, rather, you know, speak about problems as they appear, rather than kind of try to fix them on your own always. So it, it became like a, a way of thinking and a way of acting that we still kind of hold high here at the company. We're going to take a quick pause to highlight our podcast partner, Tremendous. Tremendous helps you set incentives to all your respondents making them happy and eager to participate in your next study. Stop writing paper checks, manually keeping track of 1099s, fielding recipient questions, and selecting gift cards one by one. Automate your research incentives with Tremendous. Recipients can choose from gift cards, Visa prepaid cards, PayPal, Venmo, and bank transfers. Tremendous is free to use with volume discounts available. Learn more at Tremendous.com. Do you ever worry about as you're taking on investors and going on to growth trajectory of diluting that or, or losing that sense of focus and, and value and alignment? Uh, is that a concern? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, that that is one of actually the bigger concerns I have. You know, as we bring in a lot of people, we, we talk to a lot of people, we are bringing different stakeholders in. That definitely is one of the worries. So far, we've been fortunate to to find the right investors that believe in you know the whole package, not just kind of the tech aspect or the business side of things, but how we actually run the business as well. And I think that we're going to be very selective in how we are choosing. You know, if we go to a, a, an A series, for example, we're going to be very selective who we work with. That they need to buy in on this model as well, because otherwise, it's just going to be a, a huge change in general. And uh, I think that's one thing I won't kind of budge on, to be honest. Yeah. Well, why, why would you, right? When you've poured your, your life and heart and energy and your whole family focused on this, we, we don't want to sacrifice what's important. And I think that's one of the things that I've always liked about you as an individual and the company is, uh, even though it may not have been specified exactly as you just did, but this sense that you were focused on what was important. You know, this is more than just about the money. It's about doing the right thing. Yeah, that's actually one point. And I think that a few years ago, I think I, I wrote you an email and I asked, I went to this conference, you know, some time ago, and I heard people that suggested that they could use a single electrode to measure deep brain activity. And I think it was hormone release or neurotransmitter release. And it's like, my problem with that is that from a scientific perspective, that would never go. It's simply, it doesn't work that way. But my problem is that in a business, how can I say to prospective clients who are really interested in this technology to say, you know, it doesn't work that way. In a scientific conference, it would never fly. That person wouldn't be asked never to come back because it's, it's not legitimate. Uh, and I think that part of this, and I think that instead of being this kind of disgruntled person that just stand, stands on the fence and say, it doesn't work, doesn't work. I think my approach was rather to say, okay, let's, uh, let's for us, let's open our cards in our books and show everything. You can bring in a professor to, to read everything and test uh, things out. 
and just show that this is actually it's legitimate. And I think that was the approach we chose instead of you know pointing fingers. And I, so far, it seems to work. Yeah, yeah, take the high road, right? Absolutely. So I want to be conscious of your time and time of our listeners. So you've you've worked hard. You've reached this first kind of major milestone of all right. Now we, we have some resources, we get we can scale, we can focus on growth. What's next? So how, how are you going to deploy those assets? What without giving away your your overall plan, but tell us some things we can look forward to in 2023, 2024 as you're moving forward from here. Right. I, th I think already now, very soon, we are releasing some some completely new things that the market doesn't have and that and I can actually talk about. So the first kind of step is that. There's, uh, as you say, there are all the competitors that are predicting attention, for example. I wouldn't say they're as accurate and they don't have a database that is based on consumer responses, more kind of general people responses. But attention is only one step. And I think the next steps are, can we predict emotional responses? Can we predict cognitive responses? Can we predict memory? And are those metrics themselves predictive of in-market responses? So now, you know, for example, one of the things that we are releasing very soon is what we call sentiment AI. This is, you know, to what extent are people, when they see an, uh, an ad, a video, a website, a packaging, do they feel a level of engagement, for example? Do they feel that the website is clear? Do they feel a level of trust towards the asset? That is something that as long as the behavioral data are reliable and valid, and the measures you have are valid, you can start training models on them. Of course, you need vast amount of data to be able to train that, but we have been successful in predicting a few of, of those sentiments so far. And we're actually releasing them very soon. So that's kind of on the path for us is to the first level, what I call kind of the first level of the AI is predictiveness. So creating predictive models. That means that you upload an asset, you, within a few seconds to minutes, you get a feedback or a result that shows you this asset will score this on attention, this on engagement, for example, and this on trust. And then the second generation of those tools is what we call when we call it uh, interpretation, so to speak. So it's like uh, or recommendation. So this is where you take, you actually ask, and this is a recent development in, in AI, is where you take the model and you ask it, instead of being a black box, you actually try to make it explain itself to see what are the things in this picture or in this video that are contributing positively or negatively to that score. So let's say you have a subpar uh, trust score, for example. Now, the second generation of this product will then give you a heat map, a red to green heat map, and you will be able to see areas that are green are then areas that are contributing positively to the trust score, and areas that are red will contribute negatively to the trust score. And as a designer, you will now say, okay, maybe I need to adjust certain things here. Maybe make the green areas a little bit larger because they're performing well. I should probably redesign or take some, uh, some out of the, the red areas because they're performing bad on the trust score, if trust is important for me. So that's kind of the second generation. And the third generation of the product is going way beyond. And this is like down the, the road, if you like. And this is what we call generative models. You probably heard about you know, DALI and some of the other generative models that you can basically just write a text, you know, um, give me a picture of Chewbacca standing on the beach with a smartphone. And it does that. And you, you get a picture of Chewbacca standing, actually you get three different versions of it. Chewbacca standing on a beach with a smartphone. And uh, you can imagine that with the, the database that we have, we can actually start gen making these generative models that you now say, here's my website or here's an ad. I want to 
put this on TikTok. And uh, I want to have a high level of focus on the attention on the brand. And I want people to feel high level of engagement. Now, then what the model then does is that it suggests different types of designs for you. So that's downstream. We're still working on it now, but that is definitely, it, it, it's what's possible once you have this huge database. So that's, that's, that's kind of showing a lot of my cars, to be honest, but that's, uh, that's on the agenda. And uh, that's part of my philosophy as well. Oh, that's very cool. Now, I think there's been lots of discussions over the years on this entire set of tools on being used for ill. You know, it's a, it can be like handling a toddler or a gun, right? In the wrong hands can do a lot of damage. Are there any types of organizations that you won't work with from that? Like, you know what? I don't want you to be able to optimize. I, I you know, this is <laughs> not okay with this. I think this could go really, could go really poorly. So any, any ethical boundaries for you? Yes, absolutely. We are on the one side, we're saying no to certain types of industries, you know, tobacco companies is a good example. There is a kind of a question now, should you do this for, you know, reducing tobacco use and going to e-cigarettes, for example, we are still on the fence of how we're doing that. The other types of uses are political parties. Uh, we are refraining from using, uh, working with them. And I think that we're trying to be proactive instead and working with you know, NGOs, providing you know, substantial discounts, let's put it that way, to our solutions, to NGOs. And we're actually now pro bono working with a huge initiative here in Europe for reducing carbon footprint at the individual house level. So that's, that's some of the initiatives we're using to kind of, can we help use this solution for optimizing an app that can, you know, people can go in and reduce their carbon footprint, for example. So that's some of the solutions we have. On top of that, I'm, uh, I'm currently setting up an ethical advisory board, an ex external ethical advisory board, so they can actually challenge us before we go to market with things. So uh, there's a collection right now of four to five people that we're bringing into the board. And uh, that, that's, you know, that's what we're waiting for, you know, challenging us on these aspects, but also, you know, how we are doing our data collection, how we're building, you know, other models we shouldn't consider building and things like that. Things we don't even think about ourselves, probably. Uh, no, that's great to hear. And glad to hear about the NGOs. I'm actually doing some pro bono work with an NGO right now and on developing a campaign. Of course, budgets are always tight. And, you know, I... I on the broken record, we need to test, we need to test, we need to test. <laughs> well, we don't have money, we don't have money, we don't have money. So I may circle back around with you on that then. Uh, there may be another test case for you. <laughs> because I think that, that is, it's hugely important, especially in this era of information polarization. I don't want to call it disinformation because I don't know if that's even a real thing, but I think there is information polarization. You know, uh, There's fragmentation across the board and, and it seems to only be getting worse. And it goes far beyond politics. That's it, it's easy to think of it in that frame, but I think that it's far more cultural. I think that it's it's psychographically driven, it's demographically driven. People just think about things in different ways and have different drivers, as we know, right? The foundation of your entire business. And I think it's a huge challenge for us to we're good at understanding it. I don't know if we're good at honoring it. Right of understanding that look just because somebody doesn't think the way that you think doesn't mean it's a bad thing. So they simply have different drivers, and to deploy technology to change them, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. In some cases, it may be, but it's one of those ethical questions that I, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that because I, I, I those are 
big issues that we need to think about. I, I think that to this point, Lenny, is that you know one, one thing that is probably very important for, to, to to say here as well is that although we are you know collecting individual people data and these are bio data and these are behavioral data, we always anonymize those data. So even for you know if you're just reporting on those data. You cannot trace those data back to that person. We're actually reusing the same log, log number again and again for different projects. So if you break into the system, you get a log number, you can't connect that to a person later. So that's the first thing. And the second is that the uh, AI models we're building are general. So right now they're general uh, on a population basis. So that means that we're not using this to predict your attention level or your sentiment responses. We're predicting the masses, so to speak. There will be a kind of a breakdown over time, so you can look at maybe gender differences, age uh, differences, but it's still kind of a, at the market level we're trying to predict. And I think that's very important. And I think that a lot of the AI use we see we have ethical issues with is that you're tracking individuals and you're using AI to send messages to that person when you think they are susceptible to receiving that message. And we're not, you know, that's not our product. Yeah. Well, I can't Analytica, right? I mean, the... Yeah, from a marketing standpoint, I can't begrudge what they did, but ethically, I certainly can, right? And it was that pinpoint targeting. They actually, I just saw a paper out of Stanford yesterday that uh, you're nodding your head of, of creating predictive models to target and nudge people. I think it was actually the focus was on vaccine hesitancy. You know, and there was certainly there's a little piece of me that says, I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I set aside whether it's a good motive or not. That's that's irrelevant. Uh, but just that idea of do we do we want to get to that point where we're really deploying those tools that well? Because it's really my first thought of reading it was, well, what's the difference between what Cambridge Analytica did? Right? It's still deploying a model to pinpoint target somebody to get them to do what you want. Now, I would argue that is the essence of marketing and and market research, right? That's what we do overall. But there's there's a gray area there. There's a gray area that that is. I don't have my hands around for sure. Uh, and it sounds like you're for, much further along in doing that. And that's great. Yeah, I think uh, to this point, I think this is, this is a kind of a, an ongoing discussion that we, we, we can't really solve right away. Right. And I think that, you know, I think what can really help us think clear, more clearly about this is that we have to realize that a lot of, and I would say the vast majority of what we're thinking, what we're doing, uh, how we're responding is due to not us sitting down and thinking things through from you know every single choice we're making. On the contrary, most of the choices we're doing are completely unconscious, and that means that you know our uh, vaccine hesitancy, it could be our political um, decision making, it could be what we're choosing in the store, our brand loyalty. All of that is not going through this kind of high road of conscious, deliberate decision making process. Rather, the contrary, it's much more due to habits. What you have been informed in the beginning, you know, so it's it's uh, you know your gut reactions, for example. And that's why you know the, the question is how should we influence people? And we, I think there's a realization that just providing more information is not the way to go, right? And I think that there's a there's even kind of it has the opposite effect sometimes. Is that the more you inform, the the more kind of stuck people uh, become in their in their choices, right? You can't talk your way out of it. So I think that. It's not a kind of a straightforward solution, but you know, as soon as we, we realize that you and I and everybody else have these biases in us and we make decisions based on those biases, maybe we can soften up the discussion a little bit and say, well, how should we, what is the ultimate goal here? Do we want people to behave more, you know, reduce their carbon footprint? Uh, do we want people, is it really important for, you know, for health relations to, 
to get vaccines, for example. But it's still kind of individual choice. But however you communicate this, there's always kind of a conscious and unconscious, unconscious side, regardless of how you have intended the message to be. So I think that we need to kind of speak more openly about, you know, what, what is the ultimate goal we want to achieve before we actually start talking about the means to get there? Yeah, couldn't agree more. And as usual, we could go on for a lot longer because this is the stuff that really gets me going. I don't know about you, but because uh, I think it's these big, these big issues. That's the thing I love about the insights industry as a whole. Like we tackle big issues, even if we don't mean to. <laughs> you know, we it just we we just touch on so many things, and particularly when we're talking about anything to of non-conscious measurement and behavioral economics and behavioral science, and you know, this is intrinsic to humanity, right? The only thing more is like we started talking about DNA. Maybe that's, uh, <laughs> but like these are fundamental things about humanity. And I think it's just incredibly intriguing. And I love that people like you are on the, uh, on the cutting edge of doing this. So I, I do want to be conscious of time. Um, so we'll go just personal for a minute. So you've got a little free time going on now. How are you spending that? What's Anything you're watching, anything you're reading, what's what's really just kind of getting you going now from a free time standpoint? Oh, that's always a good question. I, I do a, a fair amount of, you know, there's a big learning for me these days, right? So on the one side, I'm I've taken this kind of uh, learning that you need to hire people that are much better than yourself at solving this, the problems you have, right? So that means that you, know, you get a product people in, you get scientific people in. We get marketing people in that are much better than I am at this. So, so I'm asking them basically to, I go around and just ask them, you know, what, what are they working on? What is their approach to things? So that's kind of my, my, my go-to is like, try to learn what they have learned to kind of, that's one part of my reading and, you know, YouTube watching and things like that. And the second is uh, completely, you know, going off and just doing something completely different. I think that is very important to, you know, it's so intense when you're at work and do this kind of growth Work. So it's really important to be able to completely turn out, tune off. Um, so I actually live, you know, way off uh, Copenhagen on a peninsula. So you know, beach walks and forest walks, and having three dogs and everything. That's where I, I want to spend time with them and with my family. So and then you know, the occasional you know Netflixing and Disney Plus or whatever it is to to watch some of the big movie, uh, movies and series. That's uh, that's that's easy. I'm a big science science fiction fan, of course. That no surprise maybe. So uh, rereading some of the the older Asimov uh, series, for example, uh, is one of the things I'm, I'm still doing. So yeah, it's it's a lot of kind of uh, going back to the roots sometimes. Now, which one is it? Is it Foundation or the Robot series? Because I could see both being appropriate. So which uh, which one's getting you going now? I, I would say that you know me being higher Seldon would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, even if you go back into the archives of the Green Book blog, there's quite a few that I wrote talking about psychohistory. And uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. think anybody really got it, but it's like, no, look, th this is predictive AI. This is big data. What are we talking about? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that, you know, the, the way I see it is that, you know, psychohistory, the whole idea about that science fiction was that. You know, you could know enough about human psychology that you could predict kind of the big, the big uh, movements in you know and revolutions in come forthcoming human history, right? I think that what we're doing is basically it's not the same, but it's kind of turning things a little bit on its head, and it's starting by saying, you know, what kind of human behaviors are predictable? 
and what are, what human behaviors are reliable uh, and we're tuning that in and uh, tuning into that and we're saying you know based on that that's what we can build not but it's still you know we just released a new logo and if you look closely at it the middle is actually a crystal ball i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> all right thomas this has been great last uh, last but not least where can people find you we can you can find me on uh, neuronsinc.com or it's thomasramsoy.com. Thank you so much for for the time. It was really a joy. Congratulations on uh, all the success. Uh, we definitely want to have you back soon to explore some of these bigger ideas as well and talk about how cool the business is progressing. So. For our listeners, thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your busy day to spend it with us. I want to give a shout out. Uh, thanks our producer, Karen Lynch, our editor, James Carlisle, our sponsor, Tremendous, to uh, Natalie, who is also going to be coming on as our producer soon enough. And of course, to you, our listeners, as always, without you, we wouldn't have any reason to do this. So I'm Lenny Murphy signing off for now. Talk to you again real soon. Bye-bye. Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.